United States of America. Fascinating Romania, race. Great Britain, New Zealand. Attention. Well, there they are, the Americans. And 554.16, Greg, and that means that's a chunky bite out of the world best time. It certainly is. GB looking good. It's the United States looking even better. Great recovery from the Romanians who had dropped off the start. It's going to be the United States through the Red Boys for another gold medal, surely. But the USA, their 11th consecutive title, three-time Olympic champions as a country. The Americans have got the formula right. Hello boys and girls, ladies and gents, welcome to The Row Show. We're your hosts, Lawrence and Jake. So today we're speaking to a three-time world champion, a world record holder, and an Olympic champion in Rio 2016. That, that person is Emily Regan. She's part of the USA women's, uh, women's team, and the, the USA women's team have been a serious force to be reckoned with, and they hold a winning streak from 2006 to 2016, which is 11 years of being undefeated in eight. So really awesome to hear about her part in that uh, legacy of, of the women's eight and her time in the, in the USA women's team. It's a really incredible team. Their, their focus and their, their training routines are, are really impressive and just such an such a epic uh, chat to, to hear from, uh, from someone that's, that's been in, in a part of a system that's so big. Yeah, we speak a lot about the rowing culture in the United States and why the women's eight has been such a strong force on the world rowing circuit for so long. We also chat a lot about the culture in the USA women's eight, obviously being such a dominant force on the circuit for so long. There are a few things that they do that sets them apart from the rest of the world. Hey, if you want to watch any of the, the races that Emily speaks about or you, you, you're interested in any of the, the stuff we talk about, we will put links in the show notes below, so go and have a look there or just drop us a, a message. Our Instagram is at the row show and emily's instagram is uh, regan m1 so you can go and follow her and see what awesome stuff she's got uh, coming up this year hey guys yeah again uh, just a shout out uh, please uh, share the share the podcast share the link and tell your friends about it we're really enjoying doing the show and we just really need to to start um, bringing up our numbers. So we really need you guys to, to help us out, share the show, go rate us on iTunes. That'll be a huge help. That'll really get us um, get us up the rankings a little bit. So yeah, just help get us out there um, so we can continue making the show as often as we are. If you have any suggestions, anything you would like to hear on the show, anyone that you would like to hear us interview, please send us an email and let us know what you think. We've, we, we've been getting quite a bit of feedback and we've, we've been loving feedback we've been getting. It's helping us uh, be a better podcast and we encourage all of you that listen to this to please let us know what you think and, and um, give us your opinions. So yeah, uh, I think that's enough of us uh, babbling on. Let's get into the show. Enjoy it. Welcome to The Rose Show. We're your hosts, Lawrence Britton and Jay Green. This is a podcast where we're going to be going into everything related to sport and performance. And we're also going to talk a bit about rowing. 
in South Africa. It brings people together, it breaks yeah, down barriers. Yeah, right. My passion winning to be the best. To be the best is something we strive for. Sacrifice, role Passion. Great. Life. Passion. Fiction. Gold. Ultimate gold. Glory. Relentless training. Pain. Pain. <laughs> Uh, today on the road show we have awesome guest uh, Emily Regan. She's uh, raced in the the USA women's team for many years. So welcome to the road show. How are you doing? I'm great. How are you guys? Yeah, yeah very good. good. Well, then let's get going so that uh, we can get into the good stuff. All right, sounds good. What is your favorite race of your career? Oh gosh. Um... Probably racing in the eight in 2013 at Lucerne because it was um, a pretty surprising victory for our boat. We uh, had a very young crew and had no idea really what we were capable of. So uh, winning and winning by a pretty large margin and then setting a world's best time was all really fun, new and surprising for us. Okay, oh, that's a that's a really a really cool race to start with. We're glad that you you brought that up straight out the blocks because that time is a is a time of five fifty four. Yeah. So and you're saying was it it was a new crew? You didn't realize that you 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 were on the cards for the record, or did you you know as you started the race? Well, so the US eight had been really successful. They won in two thousand eight and two thousand twelve, and and sort of all the years in between. But after London there was a pretty big turnover on our team. So um, in our boat in 2013, we had Caroline Lind, who had been in the 08 and 2012 boats, and then uh, Amanda Polk, who wasn't in the 2012 boat, but had raced a couple world championships already in the eight. But outside of that, we you know we had people racing uh, world champions, like world elite level races for the very first time. And we we had a lot of issues, but um, we somehow got it together by the time we were in Lucerne, pretty much like in Lucerne, and the whole thing was a big surprise. And in the in the race, did you did you guys know that you you were on uh, the world record pace? Did your cox uh, let you guys know down the track that yeah. we can do something special we, today? Uh, Caitlin, our coxswain, definitely said something around the thousand. Because uh, we were under, I think, world best time pace then, and then uh, it was we got it by like a hundredth of a second, so it was like a very tiny margin. But uh, yeah, like when we finished, we didn't really know. And we, when we went over to like the medals dock, uh, one of our media people told us that we did it, and it was just really a really cool experience. It's quite interesting because um, we've we've had a chat with Max Planer of the German Eight, and you know he said that. The Cox didn't tell them at all because the the Cox really didn't want to put the, the, them off the race, and it's just interesting to sound to hear how you know different crews have different strategies towards it. Yeah, I mean, as far I think we were really uh, I can't remember exactly how far up, but we were probably open water at that point on everyone, and so I think for Caitlin, it was a good way to keep us all internal and working on making our boat faster at the time. Um, and like just trying to really push the speed all the way to the end. Okay. And then did you, had you chatted about it at all before the, the race started? So, I mean, in the, in the, the pre-race brief or whatever, did you, did you guys say, obviously you knew the conditions were good and, and that you could have a good time, but did you speak about world record stuff at all? Uh, <laughs> I think like definitely not, like not in a serious way. Like, when we were warming up, I know Caitlin made some joke about the wind gods 
but outside of that, there really wasn't anything at all that we talked about. Um, you know, like I said, we were just most of us racing in like an Olympic boat class or even at an elite level for the very first time. So we were just, you know, focused on doing our race and our best race, which is sort of the philosophy we have every time we go out to race. And and following that result, Emily, that must have that must have changed the way you guys thought about yourselves and perceived what you guys were capable of. Obviously, there must have been a massive changeover. So I'm sure there was a little bit of pressure to continue the legacy. But after setting a new world record, you know, what kind of what were the di- dynamics um, across the the crew after that performance? Well, I mean, obviously we were all really excited, but uh, the way our selection system works we had to come home and do final selection for our world championship team like within the next 10 12 days after that race so like immediately after that it was like okay back to business like i want to be in this boat at the world championships um so we're really never safe anywhere on our team because we have so many athletes but yeah i mean like you know going into lucerne it was about having our best race and seeing where we fit with the rest of the world and then after that the goal was definitely we want to win because we can and um once the team was named of course because that was sort of the immediate focus right after lucerne yes it's it's actually something we we really want to get into is is because i mean when you look back at the results i mean your the eight changes practically regatta to regatta it's it's never yeah it never settles down And is that, so I mean, is that competition just crazy all the time back home? Yes, that's, yeah. <laughs> um, I'm, I've been a little bit, like, cause I said, I have been dealing with an injury this year. So I've been a little separate from the team dynamics while I've been rehabbing. But, you know, all through um, 2013 through 2016, I felt like every day, everything we did was like the end of the world. Because if I didn't do it well... I wasn't going to make a team and uh, I think now I have a little perspective on that and I realize <laughs> maybe not any one thing leads to making the team but it definitely leads to a, a stressful environment but I think it brings the best out of people and has allowed us to be Cause, obviously cause, very successful. Yeah because in our team so like we will have like strong competition up to a point and then like the team yeah. gets announced for like most of the season you know and, and there's something major happens during the season that crew is not really going to change but you guys change yeah. even middle of the season like i mean the, the the final cruise often only only looks like it only takes place for that regatta so it's that yeah, it competition does. must just be brutal the whole time yeah so we don't i would say we don't really do uh, a ton of like seat racing like final selection type stuff until maybe a month or six weeks out we have what of the world championship like the final regatta of the year and it's I mean it's fascinating to me like how other countries do it as well because you know in the U.S. it's last minute but um you know they take kind of every result from the whole year and put it together and and so like the lineups we go to world cups with are often just kind of like well let's test this out but like you know if you're racing at a World Cup in that event that there's a really good chance that you're not going to be there for the World Championship because you have to be performing all the way up like every day in order to make the team. 
It's quite it's it's quite in, it's quite interesting because I mean we often see you guys racing in pairs and fours at Lucerne, um, and mm-hmm. even though you you guys are outside the age, you still you still perform really well um, in other Olympic classes like the pair and the four. How does how do you guys you know obviously without giving the secrets away how do you guys maintain such a high standard? What are the the key elements that you guys hold close when you do day to day training? Well, I think the competition we have between the team is huge, and then like the majority of the training we do is is not in the eight. Like we rarely spend time in the eight, and even big boats in general. Uh, but yeah, so we train day in and day out in in the pairs with different teammates. We're always rowing with different people, so I think it helps us be uh, pretty flexible and adaptable. So like we can row with you know anybody on our team and. And hopefully go fast but yeah so i think like the two keys are just we're always in the pairs we're always rowing with different people and then the, the pressure just like never lets up <laughs> okay and then and then you're saying that the, even your combinations of your pairs change all the time yeah exactly so i mean it depends on the year it depends on the time of year like maybe sometimes we're spending a, a month or something or, or longer with somebody in a pair lineup and other times we'll switch every week. So yeah, just, you know, lots of variety. <laughs> but uh, that must Spice also give you guys a lot of, uh, a lot of boat feel and a lot of uh, technical benefit, just swapping and being able to row with, with anyone at any time. Yeah. I think, I mean, for us, I think it's, you, you can learn so much from every person you row with, like, and and I, I mean, I personally find it really valuable, but the U.S. system is all I know. I've never, never sort of trained with a different team. So I, this is yeah. what I know. Well, <laughs> I would say that. Time, just being ready to do that. Yeah, because I would say that for, for me, one of my advantages is like 2009, 2010, I rode a lot of pairs with a lot of different people. And yeah. I would say that that is like a huge strength. Uh, that that gave me a lot of boat feel and ability to just be able to jump in a crew and make it work is is a real yeah. skill to have as a as an oarsman. Yeah, I definitely, and I mean, especially you know, most of us on our team because there's so many of us are not going to end up racing a small boat, um, and so being able to to be flexible and like do whatever technique our coach wants us to do or follow whoever you need to follow in a boat i mean i think it just helps when we get into the big boats um and emily just a bit more on the pair are there any are there certain elements of the pair that you guys really um try encapsulate before you get into an eight because of because of how different the boats are uh i think the pair is like a fitness tool for our team um so like even up until the world championships we might stay mostly in the pairs like until we sort of leave to go overseas um so yeah i think i'm i'm i mean there's a lot you can learn in the pair but i think the main value for it is just it takes longer to do a workout so you're you're putting in more minutes to do the same mileage okay so and then do you not uh, so you guys work on 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 mileage not uh like, like not minutes on the water uh, it, it can vary but yeah i would say for the most part it's uh it's probably mileage okay so 
we we've heard like this crazy quote from uh, one of your coaches and we just want to check if it's uh if it's if it's true <laughs> so we heard once that uh one of your coaches said that the team doesn't focus that much on technique as it uh, distracts the girls from pulling hard uh i don't know i <laughs> <laughs> we i mean our coaches like to change the way we row a lot, and I think it's similar to, like, we... I think our coaches just like us to be able to do anything at any time, any place, anywhere, and, like, be able to deal with anything that comes our way. So we we definitely do focus on technique, but when it comes down to racing, the number one thing is always going to be going hard, I think, for our team. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, and, and you're like you're asking someone who gets by primarily on pulling their like brains out, you know, like, <laughs> by by going hard, not by being a pretty rower. <laughs> oh. And um, Emily, has your getting in, getting to a bit of uh, of the rowing stroke and the rowing technique has your has your t- technique in the boat changed over the years? Are there are there some elements that you you try focus on more? Um, than you have in the past? Yeah, I I think definitely, like, I don't know, I think rowing is just, even though it's the same stroke every time, the way you think about things, it just kind of is always evolving, and something that might work for you one day, maybe isn't going to work for you the next. And um, So, yeah, I think, like, you just kind of have to be willing to to sort of think about different things. Um, but I, I would say that for the most part, my body is my body and the stroke probably looks the same, but I definitely think about a lot of different things. And then going back to, to that, uh, world record race, like, is there, uh, like, so when we spoke to, to Max, then he spoke a lot about how important the start was in the first 500 of the race. And like, he basically said that they just go max for like the first uh the first 500 meters just to get up and get that boat speed going is that how you guys view the the race in the eight uh no um (laughs) our team we really focus like on the middle of the race like our coach's philosophy is sort of like you don't win or lose a race in the start but you do lose the race in the middle thousand uh so so yeah i mean in that race in 2013, we did have a great start and we got a huge lead off the start. But um, I think when we're racing, we're usually trying to build speed throughout and and make sure whatever speed we get off the start, we don't lose any of that. Um, you know, kind of like the Kiwis. You know, they 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 kind of go like one speed the whole time and like we definitely try and maintain speed as well. And like the, the more you can hold it through the whole race, the faster you're going to hopefully cover 2000 meters. So let's go, let's go on to, to Rio. Cause obviously that was a massive race for you, especially yeah. uh, your first, your first Olympics and, and coming away with the gold. Was that, did that, was that just a textbook regatta for you guys? Yeah, it was, I mean, winning a gold medal is awesome. Like I, sometimes I have to like sort of like remind myself like it's something I've done and it's like such a cool accomplishment because um, you know you get back into training and you you get further and further away from it and then you start thinking about the next one but yeah Rio Rio was awesome 
specifically for our eight, but I think at the same time it was like the day before our race, our our, our quad and our pair raced, and they both uh, came in fourth and fifth. And so watching our teammates not do as well as they wanted was pretty hard. Uh, but in terms of like our eight, I think really it couldn't have gone any better for us. It's just unfortunate our teammates couldn't have had the results they were looking for as well. Yeah, I know. I know exactly how you feel. Except for us, it was it was opposite. So so we raced the day before and we had done quite well. And then the next day, yeah. everyone was on this high. The Ford made the final. We had got our silver and like our our almost our top crews were were up next and. Man, that was one of the hardest days to watch in my entire it's, life. I think yeah. for the whole of South African rowing, it was really, really brutal. Not two fourths and two fifths. Yeah, and I mean, obviously, like I'm referring mostly to like our women's team because we we train with them day in and day out, and like you know exactly like how much talent everybody has, and like we had the depth of our team was just like insane last quad and um and we had one you know gold in the quad in in 2015 and and the pair had medaled so like i think for both of those boats not to win a medal was like pretty heartbreaking and then to see your friends not do, not do as well as they want so yeah it was like it like you said it's like mixed feelings because you're so happy for yourself but like the people you train with every day are like heartbroken um and emily the Obviously, the Olympics is a, is a massive experience. You know, you, you've been training for years and you're finally there and the, the occasion is upon you. Can you chat a bit about your your mentality going into trying to almost experience the Olympics, but also trying to focus on the racing? You know, were there, was that was that quite a tough part to get your head around or was it fairly easy to deal with the hype and the pressure? Um, it definitely was like a different experience for sure because like going into a world championship there's no media attention in the u.s um with the exception of maybe a little bit prior to it being in the u.s this year but or this past year um but i think our coach does a pretty good job of sort of sort of um sort of sheltering us a little um like once our team was named we had a media week but after that, we got out of Princeton and got away from, which is Princeton is where we train uh, most of the year. And we got kind of got out of where we were training to get separate from everything and just refocus in on, like, you know, what we were doing. Um, and then he also, our coach had sort of this philosophy for when we were at the Olympics that, like, if you just sacrifice everything for the first week, and just focus on what you're doing and focus on racing and, and focus on trying to do what you came to the Olympics to do. The whole second week of the Olympics would be so much more fun if you had, in his words, something heavy hanging around your neck. Um, and so I think, you know, I think that was really helpful. It was like, okay, like, you know, we're here, the goal, everything is about our race and performing our best. And then the second week we were allowed to experience you know, going to all the events and seeing and experiencing uh, Brazil and Rio. So yeah, I think that's um, that's so similar to to our team because our our coach also like really protected us a lot from the the media hype at home before we went. So we went on training camp away from everyone, 
for a long time. I think we did we did one weekend of of big media stuff before we came, and then really just trying to to get the training done and, and focus on the thing. I mean, we spoke a lot about how the Olympics is, is just another race with a, a circus yeah. attached to it on the side, and do the race right, and then then enjoy it. And and I think that that really that's and like at the games we could you can see the people that are there just to have a jaw and like they've made it just by being at the games and the people that are there to race and perform is a, there's a clear distinction yeah, between those two groups for of people. sure oh gosh i was just thinking too like i remember and i don't know if you would remember this but our when we're at the olymp or when we were at the olympics our coach like has our team like eat together like do everything as a group and we were eating dinner the night before our final and you guys had already had your pair final and you like came over to like wish us luck and I wanted to congratulate you but like our coach was just like staring <laughs> and I was like um, you, you, you probably should leave I'm sorry but congrats I'm so happy for you was, I could just see the death stare like coming from him and I was like oh gosh okay well one more day let's go get what we wanted so yeah, and and what was the? I mean, what was the experience like after the Olympics? Did you guys did you stay on for much longer? Yeah, so we all um, on the US team had the opportunity to stay the entire second week of the games, and for me, I just wanted to go to as many different sporting events as possible because, like, I grew up an Olympics like junkie. I love everything about it, and so to be able to be there and sort of be on the inside of it was really cool for me. Um, so yeah, so I kind of tried to go to as many events as I could and I figured maybe one day I'll be able to go back to Rio and visit and do the sightseeing stuff, but I, I can never get being an Olympian at the 2016 games back. Yeah. So like, I, I totally agree. I mean, the, the games is just crazy. And it's actually one of the best parts of our rowing is that it's done in that first week and then you have another week to, to go in so and experience all the sport and i i mean i don't think i will ever miss another olympics i think i will i will go to olympics for yes. as long as i can because i just think it's like first year it's the coolest time to see a city because the vibe is just amazing and there's just yeah. tons of sport i mean and, and like you can go and watch any sport and get into it completely even if you don't even know anyone competing or you don't even know the sport you can just watch it for like five minutes and get completely in, into it at the games yeah. one of the, the magic oh my gosh I, I feel the exact same way like watching the win I mean you guys probably don't have the same investment into the Winter Olympics being from South Africa but like uh, while the Winter Games was on I was just like so into it and so excited and I was like I really want to go to the next Winter Olympics <laughs> and like see what it's all about yeah um, it's amazing to watch for us but we have absolutely no idea like I, I've been skiing yeah. once and it's like back to the only time I've ever seen snow so it's just, it's not something that, that we get exposed to a lot here in South Africa. Yeah, well, I grew up somewhere where it's, like, winter all the time. <laughs> so, I grew up, like, w ice hockey is sort of, like, a huge sport where I'm from. So, it was fun. There was a girl from my high school competing on the U.S. team. So, it was really cool to watch that and see them win. And, um, yeah. Yeah, that's <laughs> actually... That's that's one sport I'd actually love to get uh, to kind of um, get into because it just seems like such a cool spectator experience. And then Emily, at at the at the games, the US sends a huge team, and it has it's it's got so many different you know big athletes and personalities. 
What what was it like being among such a massive team? Did you get a chance to um, meet a lot of the, the other guys from the different sporting codes? Yeah, um, I would say maybe not a ton at the Olympics uh, because so many people are so focused on what they're doing. We did live in the same building um, as everybody, but um, after the Olympics, there were a couple more events. Like the, the Olympic team always gets to go to the White House um, and visit with the president um, and do a lot of other cool functions, which is like by then you're all like finished competing and people are more laid back. So, um, so yeah, like over the course of time, I have gotten to know a couple people, um, from different sports. And then like right now it's the winter and, um, we can't row where we usually train. So we're in California at a training location where like our rugby teams train. Um, we have a lot of like the field athletes from track and field who train out here. So, um, just more extended we get to meet people that way as well okay and then and then how did your did, did your life change at all or, or, or what was like the major difference after after you were olympic champion oh, well before i literally pictured the fall after the olympics turning into like a vacation like i was going to be on vacation and do nothing for the entire fall but uh, I was asked to do a lot of things. I um, went to a bunch of different schools and talked to students at the schools. Um, and I did some public speaking. And yeah, I think like the best, most enjoyable things for me was like sharing the medal because it's something like that people understand. Like when you win a world championship or get a world championship medal, it's just, it's not the same as getting an Olympic medal. And I, I know I got to go on the field during a timeout during our, uh, I went to Michigan state and during one of the football timeouts and like, I couldn't believe how loud people like were cheering for me. It was crazy. I literally, I was like, I had chills. It was so, I mean, it was so cool. So, so do you so, yeah, take your, do you take your, your medal around with you and like, do you hand it out and then did people have a look at it and hold it and stuff? Yeah. For the most part. Yeah. I, I don't know. It was just, fun to share the experience with everybody yeah i think it's it's it is it's one of the most amazing things to to hand the medal to someone and just uh look at their their reaction my medal has got so much character now it's 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 fairly well worn i must say it looks a bit sorry yeah. for itself but it's definitely worth it as opposed to like hiding it in a cupboard or, or locking it up somewhere as opposed to being able to to pass it around yeah, I mean, mine definitely was a little bit tarnished and stuff, but it kind of, I mean, this sounds bad, but, like, I, I know there were a lot of medals that were having issues from Rio, um, and so sort of, like, it was the fall after the Olympics, like, everybody was seeing it and, like, doing stuff with it, and then training started again, and then, and like, last May, they kind of collected all of our medals and sent them back down to Brazil to repair them, so... Oh, can you get, get that really done? brand new again. Because mine, <laughs> so mine I, needs that badly. <laughs> <laughs> it, worked, it worked out really well for me. So maybe I need, <laughs> but, um, to, maybe I need to get hold of uh, the IOC and, and tell them, listen, my medal needs yeah. a, a little a refurb. <laughs> and then, Emily, moving, moving a bit forward, for us after the Olympics, getting back into training, it was... It was quite a it was quite an odd experience because you've come from such a high 
you know, had amazing experience and you've been on this ma- this massive roller coaster ride of emotions and, you know, you've almost been on such a massive holiday and then you get back into the real world and, you know, for us getting back into training wasn't very, wasn't easy because, I mean, you've, you've come from such a big occasion. Chat to us about the, the, the changeover for you. Did you experience any difficulty getting back into routine? Yeah, um, so uh, definitely. It was not easy. So we had, from the end of the Olympics until the beginning of January in 2017, we had off. So... I personally like knew from the moment I made the team that I would want to keep training um, because I had seen a lot of improvements over the last two years and I was still improving. So I, I almost like I put a lot of pressure on myself in the fall after the Olympics where I wish I had just been like, okay, I'm going to take two months and not think about rowing at all. Um, and And in those, in like September and October, I kept like trying to erg, trying to row, trying to like do a little bit because I was so afraid of coming back in January out of shape that like I didn't really let myself get separated from the sport at all after such an intense, like for me, it was really like five and a half years of training to get to the Olympics. Um, And so I, like, I think I was still a little bit not ready to come back when I did, but I was back and I was training and I was out of shape anyways, but it was okay because we had like a lot of girls just coming out of, of college and just starting training. Um, but like, there's definitely things I wish I had done differently because by the time the summer rolled around last year, I was, I just wasn't, I, I wanted to race the pair last year. I didn't, necessarily wanted to be in the eight and um my pair partner and I we came in second at our national selection regatta and then we were supposed to race Lucerne but we had some issues pop up and we weren't able to do that and so I like just had trouble like struggling emotionally a little bit last last summer and I think for me it's actually maybe been a little helpful that in in a roundabout way that I've been recovering from an injury this this last couple months that it gave me a little bit more freedom to sort of get out of the training center and go do some things I might not have been able to do otherwise. Um, so like, it's really taken me like a year and a half to sort of get back to like, I'm ready to give it everything I have again to try and get back to Tokyo. Yeah. Because also you, you finished, uh, after, after Rio and I mean, a lot of your team, Hung, hung up their, their oars and then suddenly you were went from being one of the young bucks to, to being one of the leaders in the team so that's like must have just been extra um, almost pressure on that on, on last year's racing yeah I think it was weird because yeah like you literally are always looking up to the people around you and then you know we're, we all in the US rode in our collegiate system and so like every year you sort of get older and older and become more of a leader. Whereas like on the national team, it's like the Olympics happen. And then it's like, you go from being the rookie, the newbie to being the vet like overnight. And so definitely last like winter in January and February and even March, like the girls who are sort of returning, we definitely had like some growing experiences trying to figure out, sort of where we were as a team and where our places were now and how to um and how to lead 
uh, instead of, I mean, you're always going to look up to your teammates, but like knowing that you're the one with the experience now is, it's just different. Yeah. And, 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 you know, it's a, it's a really interesting part of, of one's journey is, is something like after Olympics and like trying to get back involved in training and you don't often hear athletes talk about it. I know with, with us last year it was a very similar situation. Like for me coming forth at the Olympics was a disappointing result, but it was also my first result at the world stage. And all I wanted to do is 2017 is to keep training, you know, be the best in South Africa and then, you know, start winning on the world stage. And a lot of things caught up. I probably didn't give myself a big enough break. And also we, we struggled a little bit, a little bit at world champs um, and didn't do as well as we could have. But, you know, we often, we, you know, these, these times of like almost reflection give you an opportunity to learn a lot. Like we like to, I I often think that when you lose, it it gives you a chance to learn a bit more about how you can win. I 100% agree with that. Like, for instance, I really struggled in our 2014 season. Um, And by the time we raced at the world championships that year, like, I mean, when we were doing selection in July for Amsterdam, I didn't, I remember like crying to my mom on the phone. Like, I don't even think I want to be on the team this year. Like, I need a break. I was so burnt out. But that year, like, spurred a huge change in what I was doing as an athlete and sort of just the success I was seeing. And like, I do not think I would have had the same success in 2015 and 2016 as I did if we hadn't faced or if I hadn't faced the adversity I did in 2014. And then, like, hopefully that'll be the same for our team moving forward after last year. Yeah, like I said, it's it's quite sim- similar for us. And it's actually, you know, watching some of the younger guys come through and, and perform really well, it, it kind of gives you that burning desire to come back. And- oh, my gosh. I can relate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, like I was saying before, like, until, you know, I've basically been separate from my team since the World Champs. Um, I had surgery like 18 days after our final and and so I really haven't been training with our team since then and um, but it gave me the time to sort of find my my desire and want for success again Um, and I finally feel ready to like you know put in the work that you need to put in and yeah because and especially in in rowing where, where it's it's so physical it's so mentally tough and physically tough to keep training and keep looking for that progression that if you if you if you're struggling to to get that motivation and you're struggling to get that progress it just becomes exceptionally hard whereas if you you're getting that 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 progression then that's what fuels you yeah so if you could go back and uh do one race over uh what race would you choose oh gosh uh, that's actually a kind of hard question. I'm like, I guess I'm like battling in my head. Like, would I pick to redo a race that did not go as well as I wanted it to, or you just want to like experience the same joy of some awesome race? You know, I think I would. I maybe I would pick our Olympic final because I loved that lineup. We had just I don't know. We just it was a worked so hard to have the opportunity to race in that lineup and we only got to do it twice so I think maybe redoing our Olympic final and like going down the race course with those nine girls again would be pretty special so so Emily in the eight there's there's a massive combination of personalities and egos in an eight and from from our limited experience in the eight I can tell you that when we whenever we get into the eight it's 
sometimes <laughs> tempers flare up sometimes you know egos rub against each other and I've I've had many occasions of rowing with Lawrence and his brothers in the same boat <laughs> and that is that has been a mess of of conflicting opinions are there any um, funny moments that you can remember of rowing in eight where you know not not every single person got along so well uh, yeah <laughs> plenty um, I mean I think that's part of the like the, the special part of the eight is like no matter what you do everyone's gonna have a different opinion but like I personally in an eight I try and like read the situation of the team I have or like the, the boat that's in our boat the people <laughs> um, and if I need to be a little quieter and let other people talk I'll let them talk and then if they need somebody who's gonna be more like outspoken then I'll try and be that person but yeah we definitely have some huge personalities yeah I mean I, I mean even even in the four even though the four such a smaller boat last season John stopped rowing in the middle of the session because I was splashing him too much with my catch. Seriously? Yeah, he, oh God. It, I kept doing it and he kept complaining to me the whole for weeks that I'm going to stop backsplashing so much. But there were splashes going in his okay. ear though. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah, I actually I was talking to one of my teammates this morning and I don't personally remember this, but... Um, I guess our coach one year was like saying like how important it was to like bring a snack in the boat like and uh caroline lind one of the the vets uh from last quad she took it to the extreme and brought out like a tupperware with a sandwich out into the boat <laughs> <laughs> it was just like you want us to have a snack i've got a snack yeah we i mean it's it's also with with us heavyweights you can you will always find us with a couple chocolate bars in the boat when we go <laughs> throwing yeah. Yeah, so, and then also, I mean, you guys always look like you, you're having a great time. Like, I mean, your team looks really close. Is it, is it tough to, to keep that, that friendship uh, and then the competition, like, separate, especially when you, you have such competition before the regattas? It, it definitely can be, but I think over the time that I've been here, people have gotten really good at sort of separating the competition and practice from your relationship with the people around you. Uh, and I know like for me, when we're overseas and we're racing, it's like, those are times where I really try and just like value and appreciate like the experiences I'm having because you're in the boat and you do get to race and it's what you've been working for. Um, so I think as maybe counter, uh, intuitive as it might seem like when we're overseas and we're racing it's a little bit less stressful because we know we get the opportunity to do what we've been training for yeah a, a big part of the of our philosophy here is that um, while we in South Africa we we always you know racing against each other and you know competing with each other day by day but we often say to ourselves that when we go overseas we we, we like to frame it as we hunt as a pack together um, and I'm sure yeah. it must be the same for you guys definitely okay so uh let's go back into into the the training and, and your your training philosophy so what does performance mean to you uh i think i try and see like little improvements i guess every week because maybe every day is a little bit hard and it's you know maybe i'll repeat a, a repeat a workout the next week but yeah i I try and take it like one day at a time and and 
even though it can be like super stressful at times, like when things aren't going well for me, like take a step back and be like, okay, but this, this did go a little better this week. And, um, and so I think it's about just trying to, to see the small things and realize that they add up to, to big improvements and big progress over time. And Emily, are there any, you know, certain traits or attributes that you believe that you have that uh, set you apart from others, or maybe um, things that you, routines that you have that that make you successful opposed to other people? Yeah, I think maybe like something that's a little bit more intangible is I maybe if we're just doing like seat racing or doing racing in practice, like I won't have like the best result, but immediately when like the pressure's on and the stakes are the highest, I think that I tend to to sort of rise to an occasion and handle stressful pressure filled situations really well. So yeah, I think that that's, makes me somebody who's good to be in a boat. <laughs> yeah, that, uh, that big match temperament is, is always yeah. goes a long way during big races. So going into to the racing, do you guys have any like big rivals or, or when you rock up at Regatta, is there anyone that you like really want to beat or is it all about your performance, your, your race? Uh, I would say it probably varies uh, depending on year. Uh, but we do, you know, we usually want to just beat everybody. You know, everybody <laughs> wants to win. We try and keep it a lot about ourselves and our boat and like, whatever we're doing, making sure it's the best that we can be doing because you really, I mean, in rowing, you can't control what the people around you are doing. And yeah, you know, you no at the end of the day, the you don't have the result you want, but you performed your absolute best. Like it's still a success, even though maybe it'll take time to appreciate that result with like, you know, with just like passing time. And Emily, um, the USA Women's Eight is, I mean, at least for us, has always been a massive um, flagship boat for women's rowing in the world. And over the last couple of years, you know, there's there, women's rowing has come a long way. You know, especially I mean, for for instance, with the introduction of the women's four in the Olympic class. What what yeah. what would you like? To, what more would you like to see um, develops on on you know women's rowing in in the world? Well, I. I mean, I think the first thing we're going to start to see and was already seen last year just alone by having the women's four as an Olympic event is increased competition. Um, And I think we'll start hopefully seeing more countries giving opportunities to women because the opportunity is there. You know, I'm really fortunate to be from the United States where while things are definitely not perfect here, um, when it comes to women in sports, we have, we're at least like maybe pushing the envelope on, on what, uh, what opportunities women are given. So yeah, like I, I think even like within the U S system here, like people coming out of college are faster and faster and faster. And, and so, you know, I, I think over the next, 20 years we're gonna see a lot of uh speed gained from uh the women's side of the sport and i can't speak as well for the men um but i i know that i think i think exciting things are coming for women's rowing the university system in the states is is massive i mean we have a we have a huge amount of our 
uh, school girls that are very good, they they get whipped up and they all go to to the states to to row. I mean, is that is that one of the things that that makes your your national team so strong? I think it it helps for sure. Um, so I'm one of the athletes who, like, while I grew up in an area that had rowing, um, I purposely chose not to when I was in high school. Uh, but when I got to college, there's a novice program uh, for a lot of the big universities, and I was given the opportunity to to walk on and like my mom really, really encouraged me to do that just cause I went to a really massive university, um, and had come from a really small high school. Uh, so my mom really encouraged me to do it. But like when I started rowing, I wanted really nothing to do with it. Um, and just kind of stuck with it and slowly decided this is what I wanted to do. But like, there are a lot of women, um, I would say probably like 50% of our squad has a similar story where they didn't really start the sport until they came to college. So it definitely gives us a wider um, or a bigger base of people rowing, which I think is great, but it's definitely not the only thing that leads to the success of our program. No, for sure. And then do you think that the introduction of the four is, is going to enable maybe some smaller countries to, to almost act like a feeder into the into the eight and, and we're going to see some more uh, women's programs or, or countries uh, fielding more eights in the future? Yeah, I mean, I would love to see that. I think maybe it's not something that will happen short term. Uh, maybe it'll take, <laughs> maybe a generation is a little long, but like I think, I think maybe some countries that haven't had um, haven't had the opportunity in the past will um, start fielding a maybe a pair and a four and then eventually it'll lead to having an eight and has the has the introduction of the women's four into the Olympic class changed how the 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 USA women's team um, structures their hierarchy in terms of who goes to, into what boat yeah so it kind of changes between every quadrennium where we're focusing things but I think right now it's sort of a work in progress on trying to figure out how our team is sort of gonna be fat like how we are going to get the most like metal potential out of the athletes that we have like whether that's prioritizing the eight the pair the four like I don't think we've really figured that out yet and like um and how the quad fits into that as well so do you? It's it's it, you don't have like separate sweep to 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 sculling programs like one you can you can switch between the quad and the eight, just depending on how well you're doing at the time. Yeah. So um, last the last four years we basically selected the quad out of pair results from the year. Um, it's more separated now. Like we have girls who are just sculling um, so far this quad, but. I guess time will tell. We it definitely, I don't know. It's gone both ways, where it's like a um, a sculling camp and a sweep camp, but we all still train together. So there's uh, flexibility to sort of be where maybe fits you best. Awesome. And Emily, this brings us to um, a common theme in all our all our episodes. At the end of the interview, we would like to ask our guests quick fire questions. And um, the first question is: If you could race 
any other boat class at the Olympic Games, what would it be? Oh, uh, I think the single. The single? Is it? Is it? Or is the it, pair. Yeah, I think. I love the pair. I don't know. I just think there's there's so much that goes into making the final and the single that it would be a totally different experience than racing the eight. Yeah, I, I, I often feel that you know the eight is uh, is is the blue ribbon event of, of rowing, but everyone has a everyone can have especially rowers can have an appreciation for you know making a boat go quickly by yourself and being completely responsible for your destiny in the skull. Yeah, for sure. I mean, because in the eight, the thing is, it's like as great of an event as it is. It takes a lot of people to make a fast boat, and there are just not as many entries, so you you don't maybe always have the same uh you don't get to race as much as you do in some of the smaller boats so that's i think where you know the single or the pair would be really fun but yeah like in a single it's all you to to be successful yeah that's a that's a good answer so our next one is if you could choose any three people they could be from any time anywhere like uh, anyone that you look up to or, or you would like to to just row in a four with uh, who would your, your three crewmates be? Yeah, this is a great question. <laughs> Everyone who's ever been amazing at rowing who can teach me anything. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I just want to like be fast. <laughs> Faster. <laughs> um, let's see. I would say uh, Heather Stanning. Cause she's amazing. I, I think I'm... Okay, I'm going to... I was going to say I'm going to pick just women, but I'm going to go both. Steve Redgrave, too much success. There's a lot of knowledge in there. Um, Hamish Bond and Andre Sinek. Okay, good answers. I'm surprised. You know, you're the first person to to pick Redgrave so far, and I always think that uh, it would be someone's uh, first pick. Such (laughs) a common sense answer, yeah. There's a lot of good people, but... Someone like Redgrave has won a lot, and there's probably a lot of things you could learn from someone like him. Yeah, and I feel like... And the, it's in different boat classes. Yes, and I, I feel like another massive element is that he, he was at the top of his game for such a long time. So, Emily, you've raced a lot of great races, and you've been part of a lot of success. But is there any rowing race that stands out, and you, uh, one that you find yourself watching over and over again? Hmm. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's not even a race I was in. <laughs> That's fine. Uh, <laughs> I watch. Um, I love the women's eight final from the World Cup in 2014 in Agbalet, when the U.S. is like way down, and then comes through, and wins. I love watching boats come from behind and win. <laughs> like, yeah, there, there's something cool about about watching uh, a crew destroy the field from yeah. uh, from behind so yeah because i one of my yeah. favorite is the the page race from uh, the 2000 olympics with the the french pair coming from behind yes so. that's i was thinking about that one too and i actually was watching old pair races last year at some point and um the 1997 men's pair race they do the exact same thing mm, there's also um there's also a cox pair race at lucerne i'm trying to think what year it is where it is the most crazy finish, like all the, the the whole field is pretty spread over the um over the middle of the race, and then everyone just comes into this like perfect line across the finish line. It is absolutely crazy. I'll I'll have to add a, a yeah. the the tag for that race in the in the show notes with the with your race. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I wasn't even in it. That was a year that I was having a bad year, 
um, and I was home and I was watching it, but it's it's a it's a fun race to watch. And then Caroline, the one who brings her Tupperware into the boat, uh, or did, <laughs> she said like she screams sometime in like the last like 500 meters, and I don't think our coach appreciated that. Uh, <laughs> but it's kind of funny. Yeah, <laughs> uh, those are always uh, great stories. So yeah. the next one is if you were in charge of world rowing, what would you change? Wow. Um, I feel like that's such a tough question because it's maybe easy to see outside things, but you never know what's going on behind the scenes to lead to certain decisions um, and where the pressure is coming from because I think maybe some of the pressure, a lot of it comes from the IOC. Uh, I mean, I'm personally just happy, like, happy to see equal events for men and women right now. Like, I think that that's, for me, something that's a huge thing for women in sports. So it's hard for me to, like, I feel like that's, like, something, like, long ago that I would have changed. But I guess it's, I mean, it's sad to see that, like, lightweight rowing is being affected as a result. So, I don't know, maybe if I were in charge of world rowing, I would try and find... I would really look into like marketing and and like how to make the sport more appealing and attractive to an outside audience because I think if you come to a race it's so fun because you you know like you it's like a drinking event like do whatever you want but yeah I think finding a way to make it more appealing to a broader audience I think it's a great sport and like there are other sports similar to rowing that get media attention. And I think that there's a way to do it and figuring out what that way is would be probably really beneficial for the sport. Jeez, uh, quite an insightful answer there, I must say. Yeah. <laughs> and this, this next question is the, the book of secrets question. What, if, if you care to tell us, what is your PB on the 2K and the 5K? We don't do 5Ks, we do 6Ks, yeah. Okay, well then. And I, w- I will tell you that my PB on that is from a 2x6K workout. <laughs> that is really impressive. We were, yeah, we that was like a workout we did a lot in 2016, and we hadn't really done an open rate one. So I, I got like three 6K PRs doing 2x6K in 2016. <laughs> And then I will, I'll say that I, I mean, like, I, I don't know, like, I guess I don't care, but I don't know that my coach would appreciate us just like giving out our 2K scores. So I'll say that I'm one of the people on our team that's under 640. Okay. Okay. So that's pretty that's, quick. Uh, that's, that's not messing around at all. <laughs> um, yeah. Okay. So then our final question is if you had to choose a different sport to go to the Olympics in, what would it be and why? Oh, gosh. If I did another summer Olympic sport, I think I'm going to go with swimming because that was my sport before I did rowing. And I just love watching swimming in the Olympics. Although I also love watching gymnastics, but there's no hope for me ever. (laughs) I'm way too tall. Um, And then I would want to do the biathlon in the Winter Olympics because it looks so freaking cool. Like, it's so strategic. You got to hit hit shots and race really fast yeah no, that so, is it really that looks like a, a crazy crazy difficult yeah, sport yeah 
And, and it's also, for me, it's also that, you know, often you, you know, rowers take a lot of pride in, in the fact that rowing is a quite a tough sport. And I've, I've often heard that cross-country skiing is the only other sport that's uh, more intense endurance-based sport than rowing. Yeah, I've heard the same thing. Yeah, I actually was watching an interview with some of our cross-country girls before the Pyeongchang Olympics, and I just felt a very, like, kindred spirit to them. Like, I was like, yep, it sounds like our sports are very similar. <laughs> yeah. Like, they, they talk about, like, passing out and, like, falling down at the finish line, and I'm like, yeah, except we have to stay in our boats because otherwise someone would probably drown. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, that is, uh, that is very true, and you definitely saw them uh, them falling over as they crossed the finish line. And then with the biathlon, yeah. you have to calm yourself down to be able to take a shot yeah. in the race. Yeah. yeah, I've been, like, wondering, because, like, you know, there's so much heart rate variability between, like, athletes, and I wonder if, like, people who naturally have, like, a lower heart rate, if that may, if that's something that makes a biathlete, like, successful or right. not. Yeah, that would be, uh, maybe we can, be pretty interesting. Maybe we can do a special crossover episode and get yeah. someone from cross-country skiing. Yeah, I think that's, like, yeah. seeing as so many people are choosing, uh, some cross-country skiing well, and I have to do it. There's actually a girl, um, she did under 23s with us in 2009 and 10, and then she um, switched sports in 2014, so she just raced in the biathlon at the Olympics. Cool, yeah. that's, a, that's a wrap for us, and yeah, thanks so much for giving us a, a huge chunk of your time, and it's been yeah, really, no really cool. Thanks so much, it's been, actually, it's been great uh, speaking to you, and uh, just... You know, the, the thing with these interviews, you know, we're doing an interview for the podcast, but it's so great for us to um, speak to people that we wouldn't normally speak to and just learn more about rowers from all around the world. Yeah, it sounds really awesome. Yeah, I know. We've had such a, such a good time doing it. And yeah, so thanks again for, for everything and all your time. Hey, it's Jake and Lawrence again. If you're enjoying the show, please share it and let your friends know about it. Also, don't be afraid to leave a comment telling us what you liked, what you didn't like, or any ideas that you have for the show. And you can leave that at theroadshowsa at gmail.com. That's theroadshowsa at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook and contact us there if you just search The Row Show or on Instagram uh, where the tag is at roadshowsa. You can find us on Instagram. Uh, I'm at Britain L, so that's Britain underscore L. And you can find Jake at at Jake Milton Green, all lowercase, all one word. You can also find any info or links on this week's episode in our show notes below. Thanks for listening in. Thanks for listening in. We out. Dude, that was sick. I think we're good at that, eh? That was fucking sounding good, yeah. dude.